I'm here with the winner, Derek Lewis. Derek, why'd you take your pants off? My balls are hot. I thought we had to have all the answers right now. And now? I'm kind of liking the fact that I don't. If one of us goes to war, we all go to war. Welcome back to Living a Fighter. I'm your host, Charles DeGisco, and it is great to be back here with all of you. Work's been a little crazy lately, so I'm sneaking this one in. I uh, got a bunch of deliverables, and just as a whole, I'm balancing too many different things. But at its core, you know, you say yes to everything, you become super reliable. What's the reward for that? You get tasked with doing more work. So uh, no worries there, but I am giving this to you guys a little bit later than I normally like to. So uh, without further ado, I'll just get right into it. This week's poll question was about hall passes and... Um, you know, like your celebrity crush. So the question itself was, if your celebrity crush slid into your DMs, would you go ahead and take advantage of that? Or would you stay faithful? And I said hall pass because less separate from like an open relationship, you know, you've heard people, I think there was a friends episode back in the day on this. You have like a celebrity list, like, oh, if you ran into them in person or you bumped into them and had the opportunity, it wouldn't count as cheating. It's like your exempt list, right? So... The, the hall pass actually became a movie and um, at its core, the movie basically revolved around this, these group of men who all wanted a hall pass to hook up with somebody else and uh, the women were fine. They get one too. And ironically enough, in the movie, the all the guys were like, ah, yeah, I just miss my wife. I don't really want to do it. And then um, one of the women actually went ahead and, and did uh, tag this dude. So I kind of brought that to life this week. Shout out to Grace, the producer who knows all the right questions to ask. And the results were, 36% of the respondents felt that they would say hall, pass, and smash. That was the uh, the option. And 64% said they would stay faithful. So at first, it was all dudes asking for hall passes, right? So I was like, oh, here we go. We're going to get something. But as it evened out, it wasn't as big of a disparity, disparity as I thought it would be. For those who decided to stay faithful, it was an equal split. Both men and women, just, uh, of that 64%, Half and half were men and women. Of the hall passes, it was actually, it was like 75, 25 uh, men to women. But so many more men responded to this poll. And I did a little more digging. Of the people who usually do respond or who viewed my story and saw it and just didn't respond, um, there was a lot more women than men who did not respond to this one like they normally would. So I don't think that means anything. It was just, for whatever reason, the participation was a little bit different. And I keep track of it, and it's a compliment to you. I'm not calling anybody out. It's a compliment that I know who who really, uh, week in, week out, participates in these polls. But I suspect that the Hall Pass and Smash is probably a lot closer to 50-50 as well. And um, as far as the, the poll, it makes sense that people would stay faithful. Though I always think like it's, it's a hypothetical that's an easy one to pretend is not going to happen but if it does right if emma watson does you know fancy me and wants to take me out on a date will i or won't i go and that is a tough question it's easy for me to hypothetically say one way or the other like oh yeah you know i'll just do a hall pass or no i would stay faithful but in the moment it's different and i think actually that movie the hall pass did a good job of just depicting that right like all these guys like oh yeah man i just want to fuck do you though because if you, you, you might like the idea of it, but just like, you know, the porn you watch doesn't really, isn't really indicative of the stuff you're into. And that's a deeper discussion for a different day. But there's a lot of studies that prove that people will look at porn that's just so far from anything they would normally uh, be interested in 
but because it's like I don't know there, there's like a disconnect since it's not something you're really doing it, it's a turn on even though if it were to happen in reality it might be repulsive or something like that I think that the idea of going and, and you know hey you have your, your you have a, a free person to, to have sex with you know for the most part unless you have some sort of preconditioned situation like we've talked about in the past with a you know open relationship or some sort of understanding I don't really see them working out the way that you think they would and if you do go through with it, and this is all purely hypothetical, guys, by the way, but if you do go through with it and you do end up having your celebrity crush sign in your DMs and you take advantage and you, and you you know, all pass and smash, um, I would not be surprised if that comes up in an argument down the road. <laughs> so something to keep in mind just, you know, for anybody who does have that opportunity. You might just want to keep it to yourself if you're going to go down that path. But with that said, as always, guys, short one this week. I always appreciate everybody's input. This one's a little lighter. Um, I don't want to become too heavy too often, but I do appreciate your input. Um, we did have some fights this weekend, and the first I want to talk about is not less the fight. It was uh, Mikhail Pejera against Zelim Imadayev. So Pejera is the guy who was doing like capoeira and backflips and all those fancy things that really didn't benefit him in the fight and he ended up losing to that much smaller guy on short notice and he like missed weight and it was just kind of a uh, we'll call it a kerfuffle and ultimately people kind of wrote him off like ah, oh, he's not really going to get anything you know he's just he's had wins he's had losses but he's just a wild man it's a show and that's that well this fight was different he had a major major improvement and quite frankly he looked phenomenal he still did some of that silly stuff that he likes to do but he actually used it he used his antics to better improve his success in the more fundamental areas of MMA. And what I mean by that is like taking something as simple as a feint, right? You feint, get somebody to react. If you never throw a jab after all these feints, people will stop biting on the feint because they know a punch isn't coming. They know it's just a feint, right? So the only way a feint works is if you actually throw a punch and follow up with it. That's on a, on a very basic level. On the, on, on the level of what Pejeda is doing with backflips and jumping and diving and all these weird things, if you're not really following those things up with committed strikes and powerful takedowns and all of the things that you would need to win a combative situation, right? Especially in an MMA fight, you won't really respect it. You'll be like, all right, what are you doing? You're just kind of moving around. And, and it loses its effectiveness in creating the openings that it might do if you were actually following it up, right? Just like a feint. And this time when I was watching him, I really got to see him utilize that silliness that I would never go for, but really display his athleticism. And he used it to create openings. And he really, he just had, he had Zelim Imadayev just shell-shocked. He just couldn't pull the trigger because he had no idea what was coming. And at one point, Pajeda was like open-hand slapping him. And he was just, he, then he would hit him really hard. And then he would shoot a takedown out of nowhere. And then, you know, he ended up finishing the fight in the third round with a rear naked choke. But he was so unpredictable and so active compared to his last couple fights that it, you really got to see everything come together, right? His abilities now were complemented by the antics that he was doing as opposed to having his cardio taken away and, and slowing down. So, some, I mean, look, huge win for Pejera, and I think that really corrects the course that he was on and is going to give him a much better opportunity to fight somebody who I think should be in the top 15. I think he's ready for a bigger test because he's got quite a bit of experience. And as he learns how to put all of the, like I, I keep calling them antics, but as he learns how to put these antics into an uh, application, right? He learns how to use them the right way. 
I think it only makes sense that you fight some guys who have a little bit more experience, who are a little bit higher quality, who might not be phased by that in one way or the other, or can maybe try to use it against them. And it just creates some more interesting matchups for Pajeda to have, and, and really more tests to see if he's going to develop into the fighter that I think he could be. So um, big shout out to him. It was very impressive. It was very impressive. The next fight is Ovin St. Preux versus Alonzo Menafield. And like I always do whenever I have some sort of personal connection to a fighter, um, I bring it up relentlessly. So I've talked about this before. Alonzo Menafield and I actually shared a locker room together as amateurs when we fought. And, uh, you know, I make the joke, well, here I am on my podcast and I'm talking about him as he fights in the UFC. But he was he was a pretty nice guy, solid citizen. Um he was actually, I think he, he wasn't as jacked back then, but he was almost a little bit bigger. He's definitely in better shape now, obviously. But as he's aged, I think he's really gotten ripped up and, and you know eliminated any fat that he had on him, which there wasn't much to begin with. But he's really become a more physical specimen. And as such, I think that gives him the opportunity to work his way down to 185 pounds without giving up that strength that he's come to really depend on. Um, or I shouldn't say depend on, but that's become such an asset for him and his style. And the reason I say that is because in this fight with OSP, who is a pretty big light heavyweight, but also the ideal light heavyweight, right? At 205 pounds, Oban St. Preux is like six foot three. He's built. He's not too lean. He's got, he's like, he's filled out, right? And he's probably the archetype of a perfectly balanced light heavyweight. You know, you see you have like the tall lanky guys like John Jones or Gustafson, and then you have the short stocky guys like even Daniel Cormier was. But I think for Ovin St. Preux, he's like the real epitome of a 205-pound fighter. So when Menefield was next to him, you really saw how much smaller he was. And he did look like a very fit 185-pound pound fighter, as opposed to Ovin St. Preux, who has fought at light heavyweight, but I think is really positioned quite well for that light heavyweight slot. OSP's timing and his, his feints and his ability to land the hard shots... In, in passing moments. And what I mean by that is they're still kind of filling each other out or they just had an exchange and then they're backing up. That's when Ovin St. Preux is finding his success, right? These kind of uh, non-combative moments in a fight where you both like, you go to reset and then he's on you and he's hitting you. And, and he's always been so good at that. And we really got to see him utilize his great counter-striking as he backs up, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, while also making it, making it, uh, taking advantage of that dead time, right? He just... Anytime there's like a second where the fighter might be recovering, boom, he's throwing a straight right or a straight left down the middle. And and he was connecting quite often. And I felt that with Menafield, he was doing a good job of like bobbing and weaving and getting on the inside and slipping and ripping, but he just wasn't quite able to land those hard shots. He landed a couple of them, but it felt like he was always just one step away. And as he was one step away, Ovin Sapri was taking advantage to either cover up and avoid that hard damage or land that counter strike. And... And he did that quite a few times. And he ultimately got the knockout with that step back left hook, which I think he has one of the best in the UFC. We've seen it before. He knocked out Shogun Hua with it. He starched uh, Mr. Menefield here as well. But I really think that it's it's top notch. And he does such a good job of timing it in those exchanges where you, you come forward, he's blocking, you think you're going to be good. So you come forward a little bit more, you keep throwing punches and then bam, he hits you with that counter shot. And, um, and he's got that knockout power. He really does have that one punch knockout power. And he even dropped Ben Rothwell at heavyweight, who's not an easy guy to take off his feet due to strikes. So I, I think that OSP still has a lot of life left. And I think it was just too tall of a task for Alonzo Menafield, who is a young up and comer. He's not too young from an age perspective. I think he's 27, 28, maybe 29, but 
and from a talent perspective and where he's at is within his career, he's got a long way to go. I think he can be super successful here. And while whereas OSP is probably on the other side of his career, Alonzo Menafield has got a lot of runway and I think he can make the most of it. He just has to, I really think he's got to drop weight class. I think if you look at the rest of the light heavyweight division, especially some of these bigger guys at the, you know, the top ends of this division, each guy is going to be more technically sound than he will now. And he's a phenomenal athlete and very explosive and he definitely has knockout power, but it's going to be really difficult to do that while simultaneously dealing with a larger fighter. So not only is he going to be dealing with guys who are a little bit more technical, he's going to have some bigger issues with guys who are just significantly larger and, you know, look no further than Anthony Smith and Alexander Rakic, where both of those guys are, are about five inches, six inches, well, maybe five inches taller than Alonzo Metafield and have a much longer reach and just have so much more experience. So 85 is going to be where he's going to be able to develop and I think compete at a higher level and make his way into the top 10 after a few fights and then find success there because he won't be dealing with those physical uh, detriments. Whereas I think if he stays at one, uh, excuse me, I think if he stays at 205, that, that height and overall size that you get with those fighters who are 20 pounds bigger than the fighters that he's currently fighting or th that he should be fighting, I should say. I think that would just be too much for him. So I'm interested to see where he goes. He didn't cut too much weight for this fight. I think he knows 85 is in his future. So it might just take a couple of adjustments. You get a dietitian, you change up your workout routines, especially during fight camp, right? You lift a little bit less. So you just naturally shed some weight. But, but I really do feel that his, even though this was a loss and it was a knockout loss, I really do think he's got a lot of success in his future if he makes the right move. So um, be on the lookout for that, him dropping down. And also OSP, you know, Maybe you have him fight Anthony Smith. Both guys, you know, OSP is obviously coming off a win. Anthony Smith's been having a tough time, but this is not as tall of a task for him to deal with. And I think that it could be a good matchup stylistically for both fighters to kind of either A, gain some momentum or B, regain it, right? And if it doesn't work out, you know, maybe think about what's next and, and where you're going from here, like we talked about last week. So keep that in mind as well. Um, this is going to be a short one today, guys, but that's okay because I have a ton of work to do. Uh... Alistair Overeem versus Augusto Sakai. Okay, so what is it about Alistair Overeem? So just sidebar, he won the fight. And we're going to get all of these reasons why he continues to find success directly correlate with why he won this fight. Uh, Sakai was a very, he looked like he was in good shape. He put a lot of pressure on Overeem. He hits hard, you know, he, he's, he's very, very tough. He could take a shot. But Overeem still managed to pull it off. And he's had over 60, I think he's 64 fights now. I mean, he's been fighting for more than 20 years in kickboxing as well. I should clarify, he was also a kickboxing world champion, fought against the best of the world there in K1. So what is he doing and how does he keep winning? Well, first off, he's got veteran tactics. So each fight, when you compete against him, he's always gaming the system. And I don't mean that like he's cheating or he's taking advantage of a rule set. What I mean by that is in a five-round fight, which is usually what he's fighting now, he kind of does just enough the first two rounds to make it competitive, or maybe he loses, but he always makes you work harder than he's working, right? He's always making you put in more effort to win the round than he is to maybe steal it or just overall compete in that fight. He, he covers up really well. He takes your damage. He moves. He counters. He lands his shots when he can, but he doesn't overexert himself early on. That's number one. Number two is after those first two rounds, he starts putting it on you, and now he's got you backing up, and he really makes you feel like you're fighting the defensive those last three rounds of the fight, which is what actually happened here. 
Um, he, he'll do it on the feet. He'll work in the takedowns. All of a sudden, he starts mixing it up. And that third round is when he really comes alive. And that's when a lot of heavyweights, specifically these bigger guys, are really starting to fade. So his strategy might be a little bit different in a three-round fight. But in a five-round fight, he's got that down pat. He's very smart with the way he uh, utilizes or, or exerts energy versus taking time off to himself, right? To recover, to catch his breath, to block, to shield, tire the other guy out without working too much. And this is something you see usually more in boxing than in MMA. In boxing, you can kind of ride the punches better. You have bigger gloves to block. In MMA, those small gloves, sometimes you block it, it just still gets through. It still jars you. But Overeem has really done a good job of finding out how to do that at a very high level. The other thing is that he takes down fighters who want to stay standing, and he stays standing with fighters who want to take him down, right? So common sense, but at the same time, he's got so much experience that when he's fighting against a wrestler, right, a lot of times you get taken down, you know you got to get it back, so you put extra effort in, you're heavier on your feet, and then you get taken down again because you're coming so far forward. That doesn't happen with Overeem. If he gets back up to his feet, he sets himself up, he creates the opening, and he fights without fear of the takedown. He might be aware of it, but he's not going to put himself in a, in a position where he's overcompensating for what just happened, and then he gets taken down again. On the other side of the equation, he will take down fighters, and he's got very good top pressure. And we saw that here with, with Augusto Sakai, right? That it was a, it was a stand-up battle for the most part. And then in the third round, just when Sakai was thinking, like, all right, I'm a little tired, but I'm going to really put it on him, boom, Overeem gets the takedown. And then he just started wrestling, and he really tired out Sakai. And that was then when they would get back to the feet after he would hit some ground and pound and, and put his weight on Sakai. When they were back on the feet, Sakai was a little gun-shy. For the same reasons that Overeem is not afraid of getting taken down again, right? He knows now we're on the feet, now I have to keep it here and work my strikes. Sakai was really hesitant to throw punches because he was so worried about the takedown. And that's something that, one, wouldn't happen to Overeem, but two, he was able to put it on Sakai by doing that, right? So he now had more success on the feet without as much of a threat of those counter strikes, as without as much of a threat of getting hit back because he had already established that he can get that takedown and put you in a really uncomfortable position. So your mind is over there worried about going back on the ground where that was much worse for you. And now you're getting jabbed in the face and leg kicked. And, and now you're losing the fight on the feet as well. And, and the last one, and, and again, we saw it here, is he knows how to apply pressure for the finish. He, if he cracks you, but he, you're kind of okay and you're kind of moving around, he doesn't just overexert himself and punch, 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 punch. And then he punches himself out and he doesn't get you down. He really will take his time and he'll pick you apart until he feels that you're in a position where he could just put those last final shots on you and you'll be forced to sub submit, right? TKO. Um, that's what we saw here in this fight. And, and this was really a perfect fight for the the latest version of Overeem where he's very patient. He's still very dangerous, but he puts himself in the best position for success with the and I, say, I shouldn't say the least amount of effort, but without turning into a brawl, without taking any unnecessary risk. I think that's the real key. Right now, Alistair Overeem is finding the best ways to win without putting him in risky positions where he might pay for it. And with Sakai, you know, he, he worked that, that late takedown TKO finish with vicious elbows, absolutely vicious elbows. And look, he said flat out, he's like, he knows he's old. He shouldn't be competing at the level that he's at, but he still is, and he's still finding success. And this is his final run, and I got to tell you, there's a, quite a few people ahead of him who who have beaten him, but he's got his eyes on them. And by the way, he's never lost a rematch. Alistair Overeem has never lost a rematch, I think. I don't know. It sounds good. I'll check. I think so, but I'm not sure. Um, but nevertheless, he's got these guys that he sees that he's like, okay, I see this guy. I'm going to beat him. I'm going to fight him again. You know, whether it's Steve Miocic for the title or maybe Francis Ngannou, if he wants to go down that path, 
you know, uh, Jairzinho Rosenstrike, he was winning that entire fight until the last three seconds when he got knocked out. So all of these things make me believe that Overeem still has a shot at maybe not winning the title because I do think that Stipe or even Ngannou are going to be such a tall task for him to, to conquer. But I know he can get there. And it might not be a matchup like Curtis Blades, which I think stylistically is just a disaster. Overeem right now tends to struggle with guys who are who are hyper athletes and and you know really can can kind of dictate what happens. You know, hyper athletes and guys who are pressure fighters give Overeem the hardest time. But more technical guys like Rosenstrike, that's a winnable fight for him. That really is a winnable fight for him. And I I just think that you have to give Overeem that opportunity. You basically have to give him the opportunity to fail because as a veteran, he's finding these ways to win and he's minimizing his risk of losing while simultaneously getting finishes. I think that there's something to be said about that. So really a big hats off to Alistair Overeem. And it's I always like rooting for the older guys, especially because we know the way that the sport was. It still is to an extent, but it was for these guys back you know, 10 years ago. There wasn't as much money. They didn't have as many opportunities. Just the security was not there. So when I see these older guys have an opportunity to compete at the highest level against some new up-and-comer who's a threat in every single way, it's hard not to root for him. And, and I think this fight really highlighted that Alistair Overeem is just a, a true tactician of the game. And all of those years of experience he's had have paid dividends because he's now able to win with those lessons and experience that he's gone. So uh, big shout out to Alistair Overeem and I'm looking forward to see what happens to him. Guys, this is a quick one this week, mostly because the dating was a little bit short. Uh, I feel like I gave Grace a tough time because my head's all over the place, but I definitely wanted to bring this to you. Um, we're going to be back next week for the next episode of The Lover and the Fighter. You thought that was a closure. It wasn't quite, but we will be back next week. I'm going to try to get on a better schedule um, and, and we'll go from there. No Halo updates, not yet. They did bring on this gentleman named Joseph Staten, 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 I think, um, and he was the creative director for the original Halo. So I think that's that's encouraging. I don't think there's going to be any major changes at this point. They haven't announced a release date, but I do think that having somebody who has that strong history with Halo, um, he can make better use of those five months that they've given themselves. Let's say if they want to release it in March or 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 maybe even February. Um, conversely, if they decide to go a full year, you know, his skills will be even more utilized. And it, the game's not going to completely change. I've come to terms with that, but I do think that having a guy like that can make small adjustments that'll go a long way. So um, nothing real major there, but I will continue to uh, keep my, my ear to the ground with all things Halo. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I will be back next week for the next episode of Love and the Fighter.